and welcome to Misbehave, the podcast where we explore human behavior in a business context. Season two of Misbehave is all about uncovering behavioral patterns which create success in life and business. We're joined by highly driven, accomplished individuals to assess their behavioral patterns and dive into how behaviors have influenced their journey. In this episode, we're joined by Becky Langley, manager of Newcastle United Women's Football Club. From leading her team as they played in front of record crowds of up to 28,000 people at St. James's Park to winning the league this last season and getting promoted, we talk about the behavioral game changers that were the secrets behind Becky leading the team to ultimate success. Well, hi, Becky, and thank you so much for joining us. We're super excited to have you with us today. And I feel like we need to start by saying congratulations on your recent win. Tell us a little bit. I think that's probably a great place to start. Like, Tell us a little bit about how you and the team are feeling and maybe just a little bit of a synopsis of what you feel like brought you here. Yeah, so we're super excited at the moment. We've just come off the back of winning a promotion from tier four to tier three. So a very proud moment for myself and the players and staff at Newcastle United Women. It's been an absolutely enormous effort to get to this point. And we've, you know, all worked so hard and sacrificed so much as a strong group of women and staff to ensure that the team has been in the best position they could have been to to win this league. So it's a very exciting time for Newcastle United Football Club, but in particular our women's team with the support of Amanda Stavely and our new owners. Yeah. And tell us a little bit about, because obviously this last year, you guys officially joined the club. And I think a lot of listeners probably don't understand the transition of that. And, you know, previously you were part of the foundation. Now you're part of the, the main club under the new ownership. What does that mean to you? Yeah. So as you alluded to, we were part of Newcastle United Foundation and the charity looked after the women's team and it was this in the safest position it had been for many years. So yeah, massive thank you to Steve Baharrell and his team for looking after the women's team for a couple of seasons uh, with the support of other partners and Northumbria University. But yeah, I think from transitioning from that to to the main club, it's been absolutely brilliant. The support has been, you know, massive. The guidance of the staff there has been, you know, one of the biggest impacts we've had. There's obviously been the the financial investment, which helps the girls, you know, prepare to be the best footballer they can be with the wraparound support, the the finances to look after themselves away from football more appropriately. And yeah, it's been that emotional support from the club, which is just so important to to t- almost show the girls the care and they're invested in a women's team and um, the success of that. So, yeah, the whole transition to the main football club has been absolutely outstanding. Yeah, it'd be really interesting, Becky, for us to find out a little bit about you, like in your journey. Can you just tell us about like pre the football, like what what got you to, to get involved in the football club? Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about you. So I am originally from the northeast. Um, I moved away to study at Loughborough University for four years and ended up staying in the Midlands for a couple of years. So I'd predominantly always played football, enjoyed it, but kind of knew it was very hard to carve out a career, especially as a female in football. I was very fortunate in between my second and third year at university to go and work as a full-time intern at Nottingham Forest Football Club working with a boys team. So at the time that was massive in terms of a female working in a men's environment or a boys environment. And I worked with the under 18 boys at an age when I was only 21. So you can imagine that was challenging for different (laughs) reasons. Um, But yeah, so that was kind of my first taster of what actually a professional football club looks like. There was many challenges of that, there was many fantastic moments, but I think it showed that 
a female who's confident and well supported in an environment can thrive in a men's or women's football environment. So I learned so many skills from that. And then when we, sorry, when I went back to university um, to study in my final year, obviously kept up working at Nottingham Forest part time and and then got a job at Nottingham University part time coaching. And again, there were so many challenges with that. It was a part time women's football program, but a full time men's football program doing the exact same program. So there was lots of challenges with that. But at the same time, obviously, I knew I couldn't live off a part-time salary. So I worked full-time for a sports science company called Physiolab Technologies, which was a startup business. And it was absolutely fantastic to learn every part of that business. And I worked closely with the CEO. There was only probably 10 staff. So we had kind of very hands-on approach with everything we did. And it was brilliant because I used to go and visit different football, rugby, cricket, I went out to Brisbane at the with the Commonwealth Games team. I went to Barcelona and there was just so many fabulous experiences that I'd drawn a lot of confidence from. But again, it was a very male-dominated environment. But the people I worked with were very supportive and I think that gave me a lot of skills to apply for the job at Northumbria University, which was head of women's football, and kind of build from there and think, do you know what? Although this will be a salary sacrifice, I want to coach football full-time. I don't want to work from... 7am in the morning, right through till 9pm at night, trying to balance a full-time job in football. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I just went for it, moved back up north, which was a great decision to spend more time with my family as well. And then, yeah, when I came back to the back to the northeast, it was obviously getting introduced to the foundation through my job at Northumbria and, and kind of built from there. And that's how I obviously got into the role at Newcastle. Fantastic. And what, thinking about looking at your behavioural map, you've definitely got a big piece of what we would say this driver piece in you. Your high initiation, which means you'll just want to go for things, preferably fairly quickly. Um, And you've got that big sort of achievement piece in you. So I'm assuming when you went into working with the women's team at Newcastle, there was obviously a drive and an ambition there. When that first started, did you have a vision of what that looked like and what those ambitions were? Yeah, I think it takes so long to build an environment and a culture and live and breathe the values of which you you display and what your team, you'd like your team to display. And I had that drive and determination from the off that I just wanted to win and I wanted to gain promotion and I wanted to prove myself and I wanted to succeed with the great women that I, you know, joined the football team with and wanted them to thrive. So obviously I just went straight ahead into it, which you probably see from my behavioural map. Yeah. I'm quite head on with things. <laughs> um you're in good company, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> good, good. But yeah, I think um, it's it's been obviously a roller coaster journey. I probably didn't realise it would take as long to build an environment and a culture. I think that was obviously stalled a little bit from obviously two of two seasons being null and void due to the COVID nineteen pandemic. But we still had a lot of you know work off the pitch to ensure that everyone was living and breathing those four main values. So what I kind of set up was. We live and breathe four main values and we never compromise them at the ex- at the expense of even three points. So they were togetherness, hard work, positive attitude and commitment. And we've all just absolutely lived and breathed each one of them for the last four years. And I think what's so exciting about this kind of football journey in a season, it's measurable. So if we live and breathe these values, the byproducts will be winning. If we don't win, we're unwilling to compromise that because it goes against what our ethos is as a team. But obviously it takes time for people to understand that because if you don't win, it's almost like, well, something wrong, there's something wrong, we need to change it. But I think 
by showing that togetherness as a group, it's helped inspire us to get to this stage. But it's been a very long process and a one that's, you know, we've worked extremely hard and left no stone unturned to ensure that we're in this position. Talk to us a little bit about, because that totally resonates with the work that we do around values and Mm -hmm. that really being the foundation and starting point because, um, and we'll dig into a little bit of the behavioral side of you and your team in a second, but that whole commitment to live in those can be difficult. Have you had moments where I suppose practically for the listeners, what's that looked like for you? Have you had moments where that there's maybe been behaviours that have challenged those values or times where it's been actually a really difficult choice to continue to live by those? What is that? Talk us a little bit through that living and what that means for you guys. I think when you're on a journey to achieve a, a big outcome goal, I think everyone wants that goal, everyone wants to win, but the journey's where you realise who's worth becoming a part of the outcome, if that makes sense. And yeah, commitment as one of the values is very, very difficult to uphold the standards with that. And a lot of the girls here are part-time, so they have a full-time job alongside um, obviously playing football for our women's team. So the commitment they've shown has been absolutely massive. But if someone said to me, would you change it? I wouldn't because I've seen and been inspired by these amazing women who have gone to work and done a 12-hour shift in the careers they have and then have turned up to football absolutely exhausted, dusted themselves down and come out and given absolutely everything with so much passion and determination to help our women's team achieve our aims. So they're incredible women. Obviously, I've tried to be the best role model I can be to help support them and there's been many tears, many moments of anger, frustration and, yeah, it's very difficult. There's, There's players who are teachers, there's players who are police officers, there's players who are full-time students and they've had to be relentless with their commitment to ensure that we've, you know, trained every single night of the week pretty much to ensure we're in this position. So credit to them. So just digging into that value piece a little bit more and almost the misbehaviour around it, Mm -hmm. can you give us an example or a couple of examples where Actually, the values haven't been lived and what you did in those situations. I think before answering that directly, I think it's so important with values that it's agreed as a team what the values are, because if it's just me picking, plucking out four values that's important to me, then there's not the accountability for the players. So they all signed up to these, the four main values and agreed to live and breathe them. So it makes my job a lot easier that I can pull them up and make them accountable when they don't as you say, misbehave and don't actually live and breathe them. So there's many, many examples where people have went against those values and that's not because they're bad people. It may just be, you know, one of our main values is positivity. It's quite easy, you know, at times to be negative if things aren't going your way. One of the biggest things with this was last season when we missed out on promotion. We were three points kind of behind the leaders and ended up losing the league. And one of the games, a player missed a penalty, which we could have won the game with and, You know, at the end of the game, I could have just torn the roof off the place. It was so frustrating. That's such a key moment, the lack of concentration. And we didn't execute, you know, scoring that penalty. But there was such a togetherness after. There was such a supportiveness after that it just showed that even though there was such disappointment, we still lived and breathed the values of togetherness. One of our um, main values is being hardworking. And I think... You have moments of weakness during a season where you feel like you're at the bottom of the tank in terms of how much energy you can actually give. 
I saw there's been many times this season where, you know, players haven't been able to work as hard as we would expect. So I think in those moments, it is about recognising whether as a leader, you address that in the moment and almost are quite autocratic with that and say, look, you're not working hard enough and almost call out that person in front of the group and make a stamp that our values are hard working and at the minute you're giving 50%. But then I think as a leader, it is also, you know, important that you recognise what on earth this player must have going on away from football. And we've had players, you know, with a lot of serious life events, whether that's pressures of work or, you know, one of our players lost a mum um, during the season and, you know, it'd be the wrong approach if I was shouting, you're not working hard enough and not actually understanding her context. So I think as a leader, it's important to recognise if someone isn't living and breathing the values, it might actually be a conversation you have with them one-to-one, you know, pull them for a coffee and ask them if they want to have a chat with you and understand what's going on. And if you both want the same thing and, you know, if you're running a business or you're running a football team, you've got to all be on the same wavelength and there's normally a reason people aren't pulling the weight. And I think having that honest conversation and being transparent and building a relationship with someone that they feel like they can tell you the truth and explain the situation for them is just invaluable. So there's been many times when I've either, as I'm saying, addressed it in front of the group and made a standpoint with it. And sometimes you have to sacrifice a player in that sense and, you know, not care about their feelings in the moment for the greater good of the rest of the group because they might be, in my case, pulling the session down. And, you know, if I've got an important session that's leading into a big match day, we can't afford for the evening to be ruined from someone who's not working hard enough, which will be relatable in businesses when you've got deadlines to meet and things like that. So I think, yeah, sometimes you do need to make that standpoint, but other times it might just be that quiet leadership where you pull that person to the side and understand what's going on. Or for us, we've got key leaders in the group, so a captain and a vice captain and other more experienced players. And at times I will almost just pull them to one side and just be like, look, like I need you to police the dressing room with the girls. So actually it might be better if you just pull her to one side after and just say, look, Becky's noticed that, you know, you're not pulling your weight and you're not working hard enough. Um, I think you either need to tell her what's up or like tell me, I'll feed it back to her or... Just here's a quiet reminder. You need to sort your shit out. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? That's it's so I think that's the thing with values is it's not a black and white approach, is it? It is Mm -hmm. about being really strong with upholding them, because as soon as you show the willingness to let them slip, It's almost the beginning of the end, but it's it, that you sort of describe that beautifully around it's how you lead in those situations and that peer accountability piece. I mean, you've got a big people piece in yeah. your behaviours. And I think that ability when you're more of a people driven leader, which you are, that that ability to pull on other people, you haven't got that power piece in you that Mm. means that you need to be seen as the only person that's driving things that actually that all that's about is recognizing maybe how people will respond. And in certain situations, they might respond better at a peer level than to you and vice versa. But actually showing that leadership isn't just about you. It's actually also about the collective people in the team and who you can call on and count on to, to drive those results when you need them. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this podcast is called Misbehave. So we're, we're interested to know, I mean, as a as a manager, as a leader, is there, are there any sort of habits that you have that, um, maybe bad habits that you've had that you've had to really focus in on? 
Or are there any sort of, of your behavioural traits that you know sometimes are difficult for other people <laughs> to uh, to live by? Share with us some of that, please. Yeah, probably quite a lot. I think um, um, I'm trying to think how to phrase this. So I'm quite explosive, I think is the word. So like I always say like, like someone once said to me a few weeks ago that you're such a rocket, you're a firework. So some people are happy being the sparkler and just being quite nice, but I'm like the full on firework. And if that, some people will love that and other people will hate it. And I think the sparkle is probably more consistent and probably a six out of 10. And some people like that consistency. Whereas I'm like a 12 out of 10, 100 miles an hour, which I guess for some people is maybe too over consuming and too passionate and too much at times. But yeah, I think you've just got to be authentic. And that comes from being passionate. It comes from wanting to win so much and I think overall people like that about me because it shows that I've got that raw, true passion and I'm not trying to be anybody I'm not. I think people get more concerned when I'm not like that because they're like, what's up with you? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, I do think obviously as I develop my leadership skills and other stuff, I probably do need to make sure that I'm not always as explosive and do take things a bit more calm and considered. Yeah. And I think when we talk about behaviours, it's about, you know, with us often the work that we do, it's about helping people understand when they need to flex it. Mm -hmm. So, but when you're, I mean, you're really high initiation, which does mean that your natural instinct will be to to dive in and get things moving and, and focus on where you want to be. And also you've got a real appetite for driving change. Yeah. So, you know, you'll want to be a key driver. And I think it's it's difficult sometimes, isn't it, to get the balance because there'll be different members of your team who aren't necessarily the same as you. Yeah. How um you know how and it's managing that that's tricky. How do you feel like uh, do you have you seen a shift in the behaviour of your team over the last sort of well this season? Have you seen a shift? Yeah. So I think you've got to get the right team of people around you to complement your style. So if I'm quite feisty and quite explosive and quite overpassionate and other things, some of the staff I work with are reflectors and they're quite quiet and complement my style quite well. So we can almost be this good cop and bad cop continuously. And I think, yeah, it's, well, as you say, all of it, it takes time to, to build that relationship and understand what complements you and what works best with you. But I think, although I am that passionate person and, I am someone who is approachable for the players and relatable for the girls. So being that female role model, you know, I'm a similar age to some of the players and building such strong personal relationships with them so I can understand how they would like to be supported. So a lot of the stuff I will do will be around when I speak with a player, just understand initially and not waste any time, just what is most important to them. So if what's most important to them is to win a league because... They want to make their mum proud because that's the relationship they've had and that's success to them. Then there's no point me saying, right, well, we can get you the finances to be here and that's what mo what's most important because it isn't. Yeah. What's most important is that pride and relationship with a mum. For others, that might be the complete opposite. It might be that what's most important to them is actually, you know, being on a pathway where they get to play for England and you know, aspire to be the best player they can be. So there's a lot of other small steps that need to be taken to ensure that they get there. Um, so we speak a lot about, are you here for the medal or are you here for the journey? And some people it'll be for, it'll be both, but others it might just be, I'm here for the memories and the medal this season and that's my job. And at the end of the season, I'll take it in another direction. So yeah, you're talking about really understanding the motivations behind the players and then managing them according to that. 
And we talk a lot about like, it's really important to understand what drives someone because if they're motivated, they're going to perform better. Like it's simple, but often we forget about that. And I suppose the skills and technical side of the game is one thing, but someone being motivated is another. Tell us a little bit about the behaviors and how you select when you're making these key decisions in the game. How do you, how do you make the decisions on who to sub and, and who to, who to put together as a team? I think when you're working with people during the week and you're assessing their behaviours, you're assessing how they are as a character, you know which people are needed for the right moments. So, which is very difficult because you build such strong relationships with people and I can only pick a squad of 16. So there's a lot of players in my squad that don't make the squad. Um, There's players that are obviously on the bench and they're a substitute in that moment and they're not a starter. So we speak a lot about starters, finishers and supporters and everyone's role being key and knowing what that role is. But yeah, so I think when when the game's happening, I'm thinking about what opposition we're playing against, what the context is, whether we're playing in a stadium, whether we're playing on an away pitch, whether we're playing in front of a big crowd and which character and that which behaviour they would display, which would help the team win. So at times I might pick an older squad who's more experienced, um, who will be able to handle the pressure more. I might look at actually playing younger players in another moment because the high energy, the fearless, they don't understand the pressure of the situation. So they're just playing with kind of almost un, unkind of, what's the word? Um, like complete abandon almost. Yeah, yeah, they're just free to express themselves and that's the right person to play. So yeah, I think I'm assessing in those moments. And then during kind of the end of our season, there was key moments where I had to really think about which players to bring on in those moments. And there's games where we're winning the game, it's by such a small margin and we need the game, see the game out. So I'd bring on certain personnel because I don't, I know them as people that they would work really hard for the last 20 minutes of the game to ensure that we press more aggressively and they, their, their work rate kind of outran the opposition. Or there might be other moments where there'll be a player who's more intelligent on the pitch or more calm in the, her approach. So therefore I would bring her on because I think her skills would maybe outwit the opposition instead of the outwork. So there's two different things there. Um, but yeah, I think you, 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 you're looking who's the right horse for the course, if that makes sense. And yeah, you know them as people, you understand what their motivations are and all players have got a different narrative. So there's been key moments at half time in football, which is so important where there's been times we haven't been playing well or we've been losing a game 1-0. And I remember clearly the game at St. James's Park. We were playing Barnsley in the FA Cup. If we lost the game, we'd get knocked out. We're playing in front of 28,000 people plus family and friends in the crowd. And it's such a massive moment for women's football. We're losing the game 1-0. And when you're actually in that moment, people ask you, does you feel so under pressure because there's so many people watching? It's really strange. You actually don't feel like anyone's there. So you feel the energy of the crowd, you enjoy it the first five minutes and then you just stop thinking about it and you're just doing your job. But when I walk back down the tunnel at half time and I'm seeing all my staff suited and booted behind the scenes and I know how hard they've worked to help inspire this whole performance at St. James's and put this event on. And I'm just walking down thinking we're letting everyone down here. So it's about then being calm and composed in that moment and thinking what I say next to this group of women in the changing room is going to change the... Um, whole scope of the game and ensure that we win. So one of the first things I said when we were kind of went into that change room was obviously reassure the girls that you're performing well. It's not actually a reflection. The scoreline isn't a reflection of how well you're doing. And again, I'm quite 
good, I think, at like using the tone of my voice to set that up. So I'll be like, look, like just be reassured that you are performing well. Um, this is what we need to keep doing. But, and then kind of ramping up the gears, if that makes sense. Mm. But one of our main values is hard work. And at the minute, we're not working hard enough. And is that maybe because there's nerves involved? Maybe. But that's an absolute non-negotiable. And if we're to win this game now, we need to start working harder off the ball. We need to start being more together as a group. We need to start really, you know, attacking at pace and other things that are technical and tactical. But I think the biggest thing in that moment was about going back to what the narrative was and what's most important to the players. So... I think I said in that moment as well, like you are absolutely going to kick yourselves now if you do not start working harder because so many people are here. You've got family and friends watching in the crowd that have travelled to support you today. They've been on this journey with you and at the minute we're losing the game and everyone is going to walk away from the stadium feeling so disappointed in that. Mm. Um, so I think that motivation of inspiring and a big motivation for our players and is inspiring the next generation of girls in the crowd and there's no better way than inspiring girls by winning. But yeah, I think that kind of kicked them on to end up winning the game 2-1. Um. And the, your description of that was just phenomenal. And what you did there was described all of your motivations because mm -hmm. you you kind of got that cross-section between that achievement, so the motivation to win and to achieve big things. But then you've got this huge people piece in you that like not wanting to let people down, not wanting, wanting to make an impact, yeah. um, friends and family, all of that piece. And, and it's interesting because you could assume that other managers of other teams would have the same things, but everybody's motivations, like you've rightly said, with your team are different. And being able to speak even within your when you coach them and when you bring them off and when you have those those conversations behind closed doors to pull in their individual motivations will make all the difference. Yeah, 100%. I, I think it's really interesting though when we do values work with businesses and just for the listeners, Becky, they're often they'll say that how do we embed the values? So we'll do values work that will go with a cross section of the business, everybody inputs. The next stage is how to then embed them and use them for benefit, use them to help drive the goals and drive the outcomes. I mean, we've just had a perfect example here of how actually living and breathing them and looping back to those values every time at every stage, it actually almost gives you a common language to be able to make the points without making them personal, like pulling it all together. And I think that's such a useful top tip for businesses that are listening here. Um, I think I think with that as well as getting the players to share those stories to the group mm -hmm. and to us as staff, so then you can draw back to them. So you know, we've asked players to stand at the front and explain their journey so far of, in football and, you know, key moments that have been really important to them. So then when you see someone not living and breathing those values, you can draw back to their narrative and just almost refer back to what they said. So, for example, um, again, referring back to that positive attitude and hard working and being committed, you know, there'll be some days players don't feel like going out and training on the grass after a long day at work. But then referring back to, well, when you spoke to the group about your passion and determination for this season, you spoke about actually a main driver for you was that, you know, after a long illness with you, your mum, the biggest thing your mum said to you was that she wanted you to win this league and make her proud. And now by coming and not giving 100% in the sessions, you're not following the process to achieve that aim. And this isn't personal and this isn't, you know, to draw on the, pull on those heartstrings too much, but 
I don't want you to have regrets at the end of the season. So I think, as you were saying before, it's like moving from one approach to the other and being really flexible and dynamic with that and being okay with that. So for me as a leader, like I can be a horrible person at the same time and demand high standards, but equally I'm also the same person that, you know, shed tears with players when they've explained to me, you know, big life events and stuff they're struggling with. And I think it's being vulnerable at both approaches. And if you are fierce with them, almost saying, look, I don't actually enjoy being like that with you. I don't enjoy demanding such high standards from you, but I just expect that consistently. And you know, I care about you. You know, I want you to do well. So let's work together. And what you've really described as it's that vulnerability over your behaviours because what we say to people is like lean into these things lean into the strengths that you've got and your initiation score sits pretty much where Sarah's eyes does and I think there's a big there's a big difference between sitting in that pattern and pushing it to the extreme sometimes when you feel like you need to but being vulnerable and honest with the team about what that feels like so that you don't just come in as a tornado that they don't understand that actually the tornado comes in and they're like oh god I know why the tornado's here and it's got a purpose and this is what it's going to do it's that authenticity with it you've talked a lot about the team and the values what behaviors do you think have been game changers this season maybe compared to previous that have got you to well the outcome the winning outcome that you've achieved I think it's showing that vulnerability as staff and players and that real trust started to build this season in comparison to last so I think you're not always going to turn up to work happy and full of energy. Sometimes you're going to be demotivated, even if you are someone that's really highly motivated and wants to succeed. And it's about being comfortable and being able to share that to the group. So there'll be times where I've come to the session absolutely energyless or really demotivated by something. And we'll have honestly just nip that in the bud straight away and just address that. And I think by pretending and being unauthentic in these moments as a leader in a business or for my you know, context as a women's football manager, I think you're almost just creating an atmosphere that becomes quite frosty for everybody. So actually, you know, me turning around to the group and saying, you know what, girls, I've had such a shit day, but actually, you know, I want to come tonight and really give it everything and work with you guys. And I'm hoping that your energy in the session tonight is going to really, you know, inspire me and hopefully I'll leave in a better mood. I think the girls obviously go, all right, actually, we better not push her buttons and actually just <laughs> kick on with the session. Yeah. Likewise, they would come up to me and say, you know, what? I've had a really tough day at work or or maybe the opposite. You know, I've had a brilliant day at work and I just really want to smash tonight's session. I think it just that vulnerability energises people mm-hmm. because they see it for what you are as a human instead of just this football manager that is just bulletproof. And that human piece behind leadership is exactly why we do this podcast. It's all about like showing that human behavior behind leadership, whether that's, you know, we've had on people who are running businesses, managing a football team, people who've won world records, like whatever that human and whatever that version of leadership looks like for you. It's that it's that ability to be able to be authentic, be yourself um, and to just bring that to the forefront with people. So Becky, what's your vision for women's football? Like looking ahead, what are, what do you see? What's going to drive you? What do you want to achieve? I think this is just the start, hopefully, in terms of winning this promotion from tier four to tier three. And our ambitions for our women's team as a football club are to get our women's team in Newcastle to the WSL um, and beyond. And Amanda Stavely and our owners want the same success for the women's team as they do for the men's first team, um, which is brilliant. And 
they've really driven the equal access with that and that's key part of it all um yeah we want to you know we want the players to be full-time we want them to have you know women's football as a profession and not just as a hobby and not just as a part-time job we want them to be able to wake up on a morning and think my only focus is playing football mm-hmm. which is is not common other than the you know the top division for women's football so that would be a huge positive step forward and that's what we want and we, you know we're incredibly ambitious we want to win trophies we want to inspire you know a packed out stadium at St James's Park um we're aiming you know to push and try and get that crowd over 30,000 but we've just fell short of that at the moment um but our ambitions are you know to be playing in front of 54,000 at St James's and the biggest thing and most inspiring thing for me on those days is driving to the stadium and seeing little girls running holding hands with friends and family in their black and white kit and walking into town and hearing friends and family tell me it just feels like a men's match day the pubs are full of black and white shirts but it's a women's football game and that is just incredible wow what a way to end I mean god I think that inspiration you know that you and the team are showing young girls and girls who have aspirations for amazing things in women's football is just so inspiring and we're so excited to be able to watch you and the team and see what you do next but thank you so much for being on congratulations on the last season and we're excited to see what you do next thank you thank you becky thanks so let's do a wrap-up of a great episode with becky So the first thing she talked about all the way through the episode was about creating joint values as a team and then the value of holding people accountable to those both at a peer level and at a management level and using those values to drive outcomes. So when people aren't behaving in line with them, using those to have the difficult conversations, when people are behaving in line with them, using that as a celebration and a way to optimise performance even more, but staying really true to those and understanding that they have such a big impact on success and making sure that they're followed and they're adhered to even when it's difficult. The other piece that she talked about, which is in line with that, was really about understanding what motivates someone. So not just what motivates you as a manager, but understanding what motivates your team members or your players in Becky's case and managing them accordingly so that they resonate with what you're saying with to them and that they resonate with the goals in line with what motivates and drives them. And lastly, when we talked about what Becky felt like the game changing behaviours were this season compared to previous, she talked about increased vulnerability based trust. So the ability for her both as a manager to be more vulnerable with her team and she talked about even how she'd shared some of those dominant behaviours that she's got um, and shared some of that with the team so that they knew why she was behaving in a certain way at times. But also by her demonstrating that, she then built the trust within the team for them also to feel like they could be vulnerable in certain situations and overall that that increased the strength of the team collectively and had a big contribution on their successes this last season. Thank you for listening to the Misbehave podcast. Hit subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. 